Old Testament reading this morning is taken from the book of Isaiah, from chapter 49, and reading the first eight verses. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword, and in the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the hands of the Lord, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and gather Israel to himself, for I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Israel, the tribes of Jacob, and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, The Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is what the Lord says, In the time of my favour I will answer you, and in the days of salvation I will help you. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritance. And from the New Testament, from the book of Galatians, of Galatians and I have just lost my place here. Here we are, 11, verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among many of my people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. And then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria, Syria and Sicilia, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Amen. Thanks, Alan. Good morning, everyone.
For those in my home country, it was the event of the year. I wonder whether anybody here was um, up late last night watching the coronation of King Charles III. Can you just show me your hand if you were? Oh, that's helpful to know. For those of you who missed out, you can see it online. The title for today's talk, Sermon from the Word of God, is From Sincerity to Salvation. And last night, we as a family watched the King's coronation. And uh, there were some great things about that event. We had some wonderful readings from the Scriptures. We had a reading from Colossians chapter 1 about the Lord Jesus Christ, who He is and what He has done. We had a reading from Luke chapter 4 where the Lord Jesus opens the Scriptures from Isaiah and confirms that in the very reading of those Scriptures, they are fulfilled in Him. And what we had last night was a lot of pomp and ceremony and sincerity as our King Charles III was crowned. He is also assuming the title of Supreme Governor of the Church of England. He made declarations and promises to preserve the faith. And my prayer last night and our prayers I encourage you to continue in are that God would grant him the grace to fulfill those declarations and promises. But sadly, he was not helped in this by his king's council, the Archbishop of Canterbury. There were invited and involved leaders of other denominations, leaders of other faiths to join in service, participation in service of the community. Leaders from the Jewish faith, from the Islamic faith, from the Hindu faith, from the Buddhist faith, from the Sikh faith. It was a coronation with sincerity and pomp and ceremony and then a sermon that eviscerated God's Word concerning salvation found in Jesus alone. The sermon that was preached showed us Jesus' example and alluded to universalism. That is, it did not communicate to the watching world that faith in Jesus alone is the way. That salvation is found only in the Lord Jesus Messiah. And so whilst there was a lot of sincerity, you can be sincerely wrong. You can tell I'm a little impassioned. I'm an Englishman bubbles under the surface most of the time. The Apostle Paul, too, was sincerely wrong. He began by persecuting the church. And then he met the risen Lord Jesus. And Paul here shares his testimony to prepare the Galatians for the one true gospel of Jesus. Paul had thought sincerely that he was serving God 
in persecuting the church. But then he came to understand in meeting the risen Lord Jesus that salvation comes through Jesus. And it is only once a man or woman knows salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ that he or she can then sincerely serve others in the power of the Spirit. And in Romans 10 too, the Apostle Paul testified of his contemporaries that, quote, they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. And as we come to these scriptures, we do need the help of the Spirit of God to rightly understand and to discern what that means for us. So I'm going to lead us in prayer. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together as your people today. We pray that we would continue by your grace to sit under your word and not to elevate ourselves over it. And I pray in your mercy that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray these things in the only way that we can, in the name of the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus, Messiah. Amen. Three points this morning. The first one is persecuting the church. And I'm going to ask you to have a look with me at verse 20 of chapter 1, where Paul says this. He says, I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Paul's former way of life. He discusses in verse 13, you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. It is evocative, I think, for those of us who have had a former way of life to consider what we once were. Do you have a former way of life? My former way of life and yours was based on a lie. And the lie is being propagated today, and it is this, that we are all inherently good. That was the premise of the sermon we heard yesterday, that we are all inherently good. That view, that presupposition informs everything in our worldviews. It impacts our worldview, our counseling, our psychology to presuppose that we are inherently good. It is completely contradictory to what God's Word tells us about ourselves, that we are inherently broken, that we are in sin, and that we need to be saved from our sin, and that Jesus is the only way of salvation. This is the gospel, the one gospel, the good news. And the Galatian problem is that they have heard this gospel preached by Paul and known salvation from sins, and then gone back to what they might contribute when Jesus has fulfilled the law, when Jesus offers his people freedom, when Jesus has done the work. The first thing that we need to do is to repent of our sin, to turn from our former way of life and to turn to Jesus Messiah. And the world's lie is that we do not need saving from our sin. Paul's former way of life was based on a lie. He says in verse 13, you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my own people, and I was extremely zealous for the tradition of my fathers. 
Paul's posture towards the church, as we read in Acts 7, after we hear of the stoning of the follower of Jesus, Stephen, is that he was the one, rather like the umpire in the cricket game, holding the jumpers of the players, he was the one looking after the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen. In verse 58 of chapter 7, we read that as the Sanhedrin dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him, their coats were laid at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then on that day, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And godly men buried Stephen and mourned for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. He went from house to house and dragged both men and women out and put them in prison. Verse 1 of chapter 9, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went into the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, that is the way of the Lord Jesus, whether men or women, he would take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Paul had a way of life, and it was based on his sincerity, but his commitment to a lie. He believed he was serving God, and he was wrong. Paul believed that he was being faithful to God, this ethnic group of Israel having been set apart as God's people in God's place, trusting God's promises and his providence. And you remember how they had these signs in their bodies and their beliefs and their behaviors. The sign in the body was circumcision. That the sign of their belief was they were committed to the holy Sabbath day. That the signs in their behaviors was keeping kosher and eating very particular types of food. This was how God's people showed their devotion to God and Paul kept these commandments from Torah or God's law. He encouraged God's people, Israel, to keep to those commitments and to keep themselves separate from the staining of the Gentiles' practices. I was driving um, with my son uh, yesterday and I was reminded as I was driving with him that uh, there is a rule, of course, that he can, as a learner, only drive at a maximum of 90 kilometers an hour. So whether you're in a 90 zone or a 100 zone or 110, you can only do 90. But when he first started driving, we had another uh, rule, which was that we would keep 10 kilometers an hour under the maximum speed, just for safety as he kind of earned his stripes as a learner driver. And it was a funny thing, because yesterday I got a bit muddled, and I was like, are we meant to be keeping under at 80 in the 90? He said, no, Dad, I can do 90. And I was like, oh, that's right, that, that's the rule, that's the law, he can do 90. That was our extra rule that we had for safety. And it's amazing how you get preoccupied with the own, your rules that you make. And the thing about Paul in his form of Judaism was that he had added layers of rules to keep God's law. There was Torah that God gave, but then there was these other layers called halakha, that the Pharisees would keep and keep other people too. And this was the Pharisaic Judaism to which Paul belonged. And he was boss level at this. He was a Pharisee, a, a zealot, an ultra purist form of Judaism. In fact, we read this in verses 13 and 14 there. His Judaism, his zeal, verse 14, didn't relate to the general form of Judaism, but rather a very particular form of Judaism and Jewish vocation to which Paul subscribed, and he was sincere in it. And he believed that he was called and commissioned by God to fulfill this. 
in the words of uh, the commentary on Galatians by Lionel Windsor, Paul had, I quote, a vocation which construed Israel's role in God's promises as a call to live as a holy nation in the midst of other nations and to preserve that holiness by seeking to protect and remove Jews from the contaminating influence of sinful, unclean Gentiles. Can you imagine what that was doing for Paul? The fact that this gospel of Jesus Messiah was being preached both to Jew and Gentile. Unclean Gentiles were coming alongside Jews. And Paul thought he was doing a sincere service to God in cleansing, a form of ethnic cleansing of those who were following now this cultic Yeshua. He organized abuse. He witnessed their deaths. And Paul's posture in persecutions these days probably could be aligned closest with the words terrorism or terrorist. For this is what Paul was like. And he thought he was doing good for God. What was it that changed Paul in his understanding of his service to God and his sincerity? Well, it was my second point, meeting the risen Lord Jesus Paul was called and commissioned by Jesus. It says in verse 11, I want you to know as he speaks to the Galatians, the gospel I preached is not of human origin, but I received this gospel by revelation from Jesus Christ. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but when God, who set me apart, verse 15, from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, then I was enabled to preach Jesus among the Gentiles. It was an utterly transformative experience for Paul. Saul, as he was known on Tar- in Tar- uh, of Tarsus, uh, in Acts 9 on the road to Damascus, he has this experience of meeting the resurrected Lord Jesus. Verse 3, as Paul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute, uh, persecute not my church, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, says Saul. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and I'll tell you what you must do. This was an utter transformation for Saul. Saul, the mighty stoner. Saul, who then became the puny, purest Paul. You see, the word Saul means mighty and the word Paul means puny. And I I hasten to add that Paul was not converted to Christianity. Paul was a Jew. He was completed in meeting his Messiah. Conversion is for the Gentiles. Now that's a story for another day, and we'll get to that next week as we look at chapter two. But for now, I just maybe maybe for a moment, for those of us who are gathered here who have had a transforming experience of God's grace in Jesus, just think back to that those words at the beginning of verse 15. But when God, do you remember when you came to the conviction that Jesus was your saviour from your sins and Lord of all? Do you remember that transformation that began in your life? How God took you from the darkness of death and sins to light and life in the Lord Jesus. Perhaps some of us have been walking with the Lord Jesus all our days and we don't know in the same way that sort of transformation from from death to life from darkness to light but we thank God that we've known him 
and walked with Jesus all our days. Or perhaps you're somebody here today who has not fully understood that Jesus has laid down his life on a cross for your sins and that you might have that forgiveness. Come to the Lord Jesus today and he will wash you clean of all those things and receive you if you would repent of your sins and trust him by his grace. Transforming grace is what changed Saul. And as Saul met the resurrected Messiah, Yeshua, face to face, and he was completed. He had a call and a commission to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And this is in some way in fulfillment of Isaiah 49, our first reading. Salvation is found only in the person of Jesus Messiah, for there is only one gospel. The Apostle Peter makes this clear in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, where he says, There is no other name by which we may be saved. And may the Lord rekindle in us, his church today, a desire to share that one gospel with all who would listen, because Jesus Messiah is the only one who can save us from our sins and give us hope for life and life eternal, because he alone is the King of kings. Paul goes on to say, does he not, that verse 16, my immediate response was not to consult with any human being. And we begin to listen to that and go, wait a minute, is that true? Because immediately after uh, he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, he's actually told to go and um, connect with a guy called Ananias. In fact, the Lord, verse 11 of uh, Acts 9 says to Ananias, "Uh, go and see this guy Saul from Tarsus, in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and, and, and he will receive the Holy Spirit. You can imagine it would have been a real fearful thing for Ananias because here's a guy who's been persecuting Jesus and his church. But he does go and, and then we see and read that something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again and he got up and he was baptized. The Spirit of God had come upon him. So clearly he had consulted with another man. So what's going on here when Paul's talking about this? But what he's saying is that he didn't go and confer with the other apostles of the Lord Jesus who were involved in his earthly ministry. Jesus met Paul on the road, but Paul did not visit the the apostles because he went off for three years. Beyond Acts, we can only speculate where he went and with whom he met and how he came to understand this one gospel in such rich theological depth Because it says in verse 16 that he did not go to Jerusalem, but verse 18, he went to Arabia, and 17 to Damascus, and only later to Jerusalem after three years. And then he only had two weeks with Cephas or or Peter, and, and in fact he only met James, the Lord's brother, verse 19, and then he was off for another 14 years. And the next time we hear about him is in chapter 2, verse 1. But the gospel that Paul had received from Jesus was with Jesus' authority and it was authentic and we find out eventually that it reconciled perfectly with the gospel that Jesus had shared with the other apostles. And whilst there were Judaizers coming from Jerusalem trying to undermine Paul's influence in Galatia and lead the Galatians astray, we are affirmed that we can have confidence in Paul's gospel as it is, the one true gospel which points to salvation. And Paul's gospel is preached to the Galatians and today it is preached here and it has the power to save lives because the gospel is a gospel for salvation. And this brings us to my third and final point today, that Paul is preaching the one 
gospel. Now, she didn't want my help. She was only three years of age, but she could very definitely tie her shoelaces by herself. She'd carefully watched how to do it. If I might have the next image up. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, but something did not compute in her mind, and she tried it for herself. She, she didn't want Daddy to help her. I got that very first defiant look from her, so I just left her to it. It wasn't because I was frustrated or angry. I had to walk away so that she could learn. <laughs> she had to experience her weakness to then come and ask me. She didn't have the power to tie her own shoes yet, and shortly she was at my door knocking with two words, I can't. And so I said, how can I help? Just as a little girl who can't yet tie her shoes needs to come to her earthly father, we need to come to our heavenly father in complete dependence on him for our salvation and for our maturation. And in fact, in all things, we depend on God his divinity and his grace, understanding as he does in the person of Jesus, our frailty and humanity. And we do our best for our Father in heaven when we stop trying and admit our dependence on him. You know, if you go and have a walk around the cemetery up at our Soldiers and Miners Memorial Church in Mount Kembla, you'll see a great variety of tombstones there. Many different people, some soldiers, some miners, some tradies, some teachers, all very different in their expression of life, but all the same in their death because they cannot raise themselves. Just as we are dependent upon the Lord Jesus for our salvation, so we are dependent upon him for the hope of resurrection all by God's grace. And Paul saw the contrast of his former life. He had all sincerity in his persecution of the church, but when he met the risen Lord Jesus, he realized that that was all in the wrong direction. Now he had become a preacher of the gospel of Jesus, such that, to such an extent, that he was making an impact back in the churches in Judea. And Paul said, I went to Syria and Sicilia and I was personally known to the churches of Judea that are in Christ there because they heard the report that this man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they praised God because of me. Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Messiah with Barnabas in the synagogues, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And then when he uh, became rejected, it was the light to Israel that he became to the Gentiles. In fact, in Acts 13, 46, it says that they spoke the word of God to the Jews first. Since you rejected and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, now we turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you will bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And again, we'll see more of this in chapter two. But um, what we see now is something profound about the preaching of the gospel and Paul's reputation. Once a persecutor of the church, now a preacher of the gospel, the power of transforming grace to change his life led to this beautiful conclusion, verse 24, and they praised God because of me. They praised God because of Paul. Will they be praising God because of me? Will they be praising God because of you? We heard about this amazing story of our partnership in the gospel 
with brothers and sisters over in Ethiopia from Rod today. There are many in that nation praising God because of your prayers, your investment, your commitment to partnership. And what a joy it is, isn't it? To know that we can be agents in the lives of others, to see them come to faith and praising God. So brothers and sisters, you are and you can be agents of God's praise. God uses you every time you read his word and grow in faith and withstand the temptations of the world to go the world's way and your neighbors and friends see you standing firm for him. It is to the praise of his glory. When God uses your words, stumbling as we do, to share the sweet relief of forgiveness on offer for the sins that we have been forgiven and the sins of others, then that is for the praise of God's glory. When he uses your posture of confidence in your eternal assurance, even during the hard, pressured times, the light of your faith shines through into the lives of others for the praise of his glory And God uses your prayers to shape hearts of unbelief that they might soften to the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus and that we might see others come into his family. Paul was set apart and called and commissioned by the Lord Jesus and in the end supported and confirmed in this commission by the Jerusalem apostles. But his transformation from persecutor to preacher was by God's grace and only through Jesus. And you and me today can also find our call and commission in him. And so finally, how can we move from sincerity to salvation? I want to encourage you. So many of us have seen the coronation. Can I encourage you, if you haven't seen it, watch it so that we can leverage it because many, many people have been watching this big event with all its pomp and ceremony. But in the midst of it, the word of God has been shared. And there is an opportunity for us, I think, to leverage that and talk to our friends and neighbors about the Lord Jesus Christ through the coronation. I think secondly, I also want to encourage us to continue in our cultural curiosity. Because The gospel is first for the Jew, but it is also for the Muslim. The gospel of the Lord Jesus is for the Buddhist. The gospel of the Lord Jesus is for the Hindu. The gospel of the Lord Jesus is for the Sikh. May it be that we would prayerfully and gently continue to ask questions of our friends and relatives who have grown up with and adopted different faiths for the reason for doing so. Even the atheist has a massive expression of faith going on. Are we willing to share the one gospel of the Lord Jesus who gives us hope for salvation for our sins and eternal life after death in our prayers and in our words and in our deeds that we might have confidence and courage in the current climate where the one who is meant to be the spiritual counsel for the defender of the faith to talk about a gospel that is the example of Jesus that can be lived out by anyone in human strength, or or Jesus being one amongst many faiths that will lead to the way of salvation and hope. We have an Archbishop of Canterbury who has thoroughly dropped the ball. 
It is disturbing that leaders of other faiths have been invited to share in the consecration of a new king and the supreme governor of the Church of England. I don't doubt their sincerity and service, but when there is nothing spoken to from the word of God about the salvation that comes through Jesus and only through Jesus, we do have to worry about the spiritual state of our Anglican communion. And I shared with you last week about our experience in Rwanda for the gathering together of faithful Anglicans at the GAFCON, the Global Anglican Future Conference. I wanna share with you the written response to the faithlessness of some of the leadership in the Kigali commitment that we penned together, which states this, and I quote, we have no confidence the Archbishop of Canterbury, nor the other instruments of communion led by him, are able to provide a godly way forward that will be acceptable to those who are committed to the truthfulness, clarity, sufficiency, and authority of the scripture. The instruments of communion have failed to maintain true communion based on the word of God and shared faith in Christ. Sincerity in service well, that's good. But without salvation in the one gospel of Jesus, it is utterly empty. And the service and sermon at King Charles III coronation is yet another reason why the majority of the global Anglican church is moving away from these errors and onwards and upwards into the commission that the Lord Jesus Christ himself has given us. And so may I, for your encouragement, quote from the end of the commitment, and I do this by way of prayer. Would you join me in reading? And I quote, we commit ourselves afresh to the gospel mission of proclaiming the crucified, risen and ascended Christ, calling on all to acknowledge him as Lord in repentance and faith, and living out a joyful, faithful obedience to his word in all areas of our lives. We will explore fresh ways to encourage each other to pray for one another and to hold each other accountable in these things. We commit ourselves into the hands of our almighty and loving Heavenly Father with confidence that he will fulfill all his promises and even through a time of pruning, Christ will build his church. And Lord, we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.